We are reading from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 from the New Revised Standard Version on this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, as we turn our attention to this text from Matthew's gospel, it deserves our most careful attention. Nowhere else in scripture does Jesus so clearly and succinctly offer instruction about what is to happen after he is gone. And so this is a a treasure for us, this passage in Matthew's gospel. For that reason, the verses are often referred to as the Great Commission. Perhaps you've heard it referred to in that way. If you have your Bibles with you, you'll, you'll notice that chapter 28 begins when the women discover the empty tomb. And then Jesus instructs them to go tell the disciples that they are to head to Galilee and Jesus will meet them there. When we pick it up in verse 16 with today's reading, we assume that they have done so. The scripture says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So much has happened. Keep in mind, this is the very first time that they've seen Jesus since they fled during his arrest. And they are 11 now instead of 12 because one has taken his life. Have you ever had to face someone you disappointed or betrayed? So just imagine what that trip to Galilee must have been like. Verse 17 arrives then in full force. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's tempting to see that particular phrase as the natural response of some to believe and others to doubt. But another way to read it is that worshiping and doubting can happen sometimes within the same person. The New Interpreter's Bible puts it like this. Doubt here is not theoretical skepticism, but the risky wavering of the one who must decide when more than one possibility seems reasonable and right. Friends, courage is not blind faith. It is choosing a path knowing full well you could be wrong. I actually think that this verse, verse 17, tells us that the disciples were choosing in that moment to offer Jesus their full assent while wondering if that might be the wrong call. Perhaps we we know some of those feelings during the season of pandemic, of of knowing what it's like to to think, I'm going to make this decision, but I don't know if it's the right one or not. I'm going to choose to put my faith here, but that might be the wrong call. So it's important then that Jesus offers them in the very next statement his credentials. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now for all the contrarians out there, I count myself 
officially uh, among them. I'm six on the Enneagram, so I am very much a contrarian. We are tempted to wonder if it even matters what authority has been given to Jesus, whether in, in or on earth or in heaven, because no matter how much authority Jesus had, part of what we know is that he was still crucified. But Jesus' point can only be seen within the next statement when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which has become the ancient baptismal formula, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded to you. So don't miss what happens in that moment. Because what has been given to Jesus, he says, all authority in, it, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now he gives it to the disciples. So those four verbs show the power of this moment. Go, make, baptize, teach. Jesus was a building block for the disciples, no doubt. But unlike the other building blocks that we have examined, we looked at Paul being a building block for Timothy. We looked at Moses being a building block for Joshua. Jesus didn't actually need the disciples to accomplish his mission. He could have become the savior for the world without their help. In fact, as we read back through the gospel accounts, it sometimes appears the disciples were more of an impediment than they were a help. And this passage reveals a painful, uh, it follows a painful reality that when the going got tough for Jesus, the tough got going. Still, what this passage tells us is that he chooses to trust them with the Great Commission. He chooses to say, this has been given to me and now I give it to you. So for a few weeks, we've been encouraging you to, to build your own quilt. This is my, my building blocks. I have people in my life who have invested in me, taught me the lessons of life and faith, believed in me when I was struggling to believe in myself. These people are my building blocks. And surely, Jesus would have been a building block in the quilts made by each of those 11 that were gathered in Galilee that day. Now, as Jesus is commissioning them to do what he did, don't you know that they would have had to go back over the lessons from his life? If they're supposed to teach others everything that he commanded them, don't you know that that day they'd be asking themselves, so what was it he said again about loving your enemy? What was it he was teaching us about the coming of the kingdom of God? What were those pivotal and transformational teachings that if followed would make someone a Christ follower? How, how then do we decide what are those key points in his life if we're to teach them everything that he has taught us? How are we to know? It's a deeper challenge than the ones we've looked at before, friends. Paul's instructions to Timothy weren't about making someone a Paul follower. Moses' instructions to Joshua weren't about making someone a Moses follower. But Jesus' instruction to the disciples in this passage really are about making those who would come after them a Jesus follower. It's kind of like the final exam for our students. Uh, I know that many students during this period of time are really getting ready for those finals and having to go back over what they have learned in the semester and try to remember 
the, the highlights, the most important pieces. And so here they were on the mountain trying to remember everything Jesus said and did and then to distill down the critical pieces so that they could help others find the salvation that they found through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I imagine that this conversation influenced probably what we have now in the four gospel accounts. So I would draw your attention to what made the cut. When you look at the gospels, it paints a picture for us of Jesus as a building block. So notice that in the gospels, the story of the last week of Jesus' life in all four of them takes up a disproportionate amount of the story, generally about half in each of the gospels. So the disciples must have sensed that there was something really important about that last week of Jesus' life, that the significance of Jesus actually hinged on the cross. When you look over the witness of the gospels, what you find is that Jesus talks more about the coming of the kingdom of God than anything else. This is the end goal for Jesus, and so it has to be the end goal for us, too. Jesus was really concerned with healing as a way of restoring people to community. Don't you know that in Jesus' day and time, just like ours today, healing was needed by many. But Jesus chose to heal strategically. And you see that as you read these healing stories throughout the gospel, that Jesus chose to heal in order to restore someone to the community if they had been cut off because of their infirmity. And so healing is actually about leading to a wider community embrace, about making room for those who are on the outside. And when we look over the Gospels and we read about Jesus' teaching, it happens primarily through what we call parables, short stories that help make a point about the kingdom of God. In fact, most of the parables will begin with the kingdom of God is like... And then it will relate, uh, uh, Jesus will relate a story or a parable about something that happened. And so the disciples must have in their commission received the word teach to embrace this idea of teaching through parables. Because they would have known, friends, that, that the challenge that Jesus presented them about the coming kingdom of God would have been hard for people to hear. And so within the beauty of a parable, there's that ability to help people hear something that challenges their assumptions without turning them off. And the cross. Certainly what we see in the Gospels is that the cross is key. In that experience, God accomplishes salvation for the whole world for all time. We'll never fully understand this, and we certainly can't explain it. But part of what Jesus wants them to know is you can live it with the grace that it proclaims. The cross is key. Jesus as a building block means that the cross has to be key. Surely Jesus was and is more than just a building block for the disciples. Jesus is more like the thread that weaves its way across every piece of fabric holding the, the backing and the padding and the blocks all together. In fact, there wouldn't be a block on any of our quilts that Jesus doesn't touch. And there isn't any covering of grace without the cross. 
So I hope, dear friends, that Jesus would be the thread on our quilt. A building block for sure, but the thread even more. And that our lives will reflect the commission that he gave us to go, to make, to teach, and to baptize. Amen.